Hello, and welcome to The Gray Area, where I give interviews with developers, talk about gaming news and reviews, and focus on the interrelationships between gamers. My name is Genesee Gray, and this is the 98th episode in a weekly series called PVD. Here with me is Scott Chatton, gameplay producer and designer for Trendy Entertainment on Dungeon Defenders 2. So welcome to the show, Scott. I'm glad to have you. Thanks a lot. I'm glad to be here. Last week's episode was a discussion with Steve Swink, game designer, speaker, and author. Please visit www.genesee.com to add to the forum discussion on that topic and to tell me your story. Today is Monday, April 15th, and we are going to talk about Dungeon Defenders and Scott. So let's start with news of the week. News of the week is anything that you're doing right now. It can be game-related or just personal stuff. Um, what is going on in your week that you're occupied with? Oh, man. Um, everything about my week for the last couple of weeks, ever since PAX was done, has been about getting this game into as well-polished a state as we can. We kind of showed it off a little bit at PAX, and... We're, we're just ramping up the game as much as possible to try and get it to our fans as fast as we can. Um, we are constantly doing updates in uh, live streams and putting out a lot, of, uh, a lot of teaser content and stuff as we're able to uh, leading up to the game's release. I know the game is uh, free to play and is mm-hmm. in beta right now. Right. Uh, you had you had the game at PAX, and I don't know. Did you do any other tr- uh, shows recently where you've had the game like live on the floor? That was our first. We actually just announced that game in IGN that Monday before PAX, so it was a big, huge uh, surprise to a lot of people because uh. no one up to that point actually knew that we were working on it. Okay, excellent. Not officially, anyway. So do you, would you say that you learn the most about the things you need to improve or things uh, that aren't working um, from the beta tests, or did you find that you learned anything from PAX? You know, it's really a combination of both. Um, I gave my card out to a whole lot of people at PAX with intent to kind of bring them into our closed beta, anybody that seemed like they were a really good fan or really interested in contributing <coughs> in a way that was meaningful. <laughs> Me. And so, oh, it's okay. <laughs> That's why I'm coughing, because I really want to be in the beta. Well, if you, if, if you do, I'm, I'm happy to give you a code. You just uh, I'll, I'll give you one after we're done with this podcast. No problem there. Awesome. Now, if um, other people want to do this, there is a website, is there not? Uh, yeah, you can go to DungeonDefenders2.com, and um, we're constantly giving out, or, or you can tune into any of our community events. We're constantly giving out keys there. Um, but... Uh, coming up here as we widen up our closed beta a little bit. Um, when we go to a full open beta, we'll, we'll likely do uh, do some kind of code distribution. I'm not exactly sure what the plan is yet for marketing, but um, but as we get closer to being able to expand our servers, we'll, we'll make it a, a, larger, a larger beta group. Do you have a projected date for this release, the final product? I don't. I don't. We haven't... We haven't uh, I mean, we're, we're going to be trying to go to a a larger, more open beta sometime in the summer, but I don't actually have a projected final release date for the game yet. Okay. Let's backtrack a little and talk about you uh, in your childhood. Were you a childhood Uh, gamer? Were you interested? Oh my god. It's not even funny. (laughs) Oh, really? Uh, I got my first first Atari when I was like two, and it was history ever since. Like... Like I'm, I'm a huge gamer. Grew up as a gamer. Have been my whole life. I'm, I'm actually kind of a gamer's gamer in that there's, like, I do everything. I do board games, tabletop, CCGs. I actually met some really awesome designers at PAX through uh, 
an exhibitors MTG tournament that was going on after the day on Friday and met some of the like mm-hmm. premier designers at like Mayfair Games who did Settlers of Catan and <laughs> yes, I remember uh, you're all excited. I was so <laughs> I was so jazzed. The energy at PAX was just palpable, and uh, the number of of big shots that I got to meet in the industry in various different uh, aspects of different gaming industries was outstanding. Um, and and so I was a bit starstruck going there, but uh, <laughs> um, I find no, it I've been I've been a gamer my whole life. I find it interesting that. My friends and I, um, we do a lot of like things together as co-op. Sometimes we'll do Left 4 Dead 2. Sometimes we'll do like Team Fortress. A lot oh. of times we do Dungeon Defenders. And to us, like trendy, trendy net and trendy entertainment is like a big thing. I mean, we're always playing this huge game. And it mm-hmm. seems to me the more I research, the more that trendy is really not a huge gaming studio. You know, we're you guys are very small. small. indie company. Yeah. <laughs> this is we're, bizarre. We're, we're small indie with big ideas and. Huge hopes and dreams. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> How many people would you say work for Trendy? Oh man, uh, it's 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 grown a little bit recently, but I mean, we're still small. I mean, we're. I want to say, I want to say, I mean, we're we're definitely not even in triple digits. Okay. Like we're we're, I want to say probably close to about maybe, in the forty to sixty range somewhere okay. in there. Okay. Uh, it's hard because we have. Uh, we we do do some remote contracting work, and so I'm not exactly sure how many people we're using for the external studios that we're working with. So, I see. but in house in house we're we're pretty small. Now I'm jumping around a lot from your childhood to the original Dungeon Defenders. It's all uh, good. I know that you were um, you know on Q and A and you were beta tester and things like that. Was the beta yeah. testing for the original Dungeon Defenders? So the way that I actually got brought up with Trendy was um, I was just a fan in the community. It's such an interesting story. I, I, I love telling it. Um, I was just a fan in the community. Like I I had recently gotten out of the military. I was I'm, I'm ex Navy, huh. and uh, I was going to take some time off and, uh, you know, kind of better myself, do some more schooling and stuff like that. And October of 2011, my buddies that um, I know back home in California were going, hey, you know, we have this, you know, game that's coming out. It's called Dungeon Defenders. We're going to buy it. You should totally play with us. And I was like, okay, cool. And so I got really into it. And um, and uh, after I got into it, my friends ended up, after a month of playing it, ended up getting out of it and went back to like games like League of Legends and okay. uh, Team Fortress 2 and stuff. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? This game is awesome. And so I just kept running with it. Um, I ended up forming a group of people around me, of people that I'd met online. And um, in January, I got an invite to be a remote beta tester um, for them through a moderator, actually, on their forms, a volunteer moderator. It's like, hey, we're, we're doing this. And he's like, wow, you have a lot of leadership experience when you got to know me a little bit. He's like, do you want to lead this team? And I said, sure. And it was just, just you know, an eccentric thing that I did on the side for them. But the type of information and the type of work that I ended up doing for them was like what you would get out of a quality assurance department internally. And I ended up organizing their volunteers that were coming in, you know, remotely to be a pretty crack team of people that were, you know, there on call you know, pretty much round the clock for any type of bill that they wanted to put out. If they wanted to put one out at two in the morning, I had people that would be, you know, that were out in Europe that were ready to play. Oh, wow. It was just right in their prime time. And they knew how to report bugs and find stuff. And so that ended up getting me noticed by Trendy. Um, 
I think the hardest thing I had to do for them was when they decided to do a Mac team, um, <laughs> they didn't give me any notice. They're just like, hey, you know, we've got a good PC beta team. You want to make a Mac team? Yeah, we're releasing the Mac beta in three days. Can you get me like 100 people? And I'm, I went scrambling and ended up getting them a really good Mac team together in that time and made some really good friends in the process. And so... Basically, they ended up hiring me on site last August, where I was going to be kind of their junior gameplay designer slash QA, and uh, the person above me ended up uh, finding a job with another company, and I ended up getting moved up into their senior level position. Uh, a little fast, but um, you know, I think I've been, I think I've been acclimating pretty well here, and it's definitely a wild ride. Let me tell you, the video game industry is not for the not for the weak of heart. Well, what does, let's backtrack slightly and say, what does the Q&A manager do? Like, is this mostly okay. um, social, you know, responding to the community? What, what sort of things do you do it's as a, a Q&A? For our quality assurance team, we have our head of quality assurance is kind of a, I guess, it, it's such a large beast quality assurance. It's like one of the four pillars that, in my opinion, the game industry kind of stands on. And it's... So our quality assurance manager is responsible for reviewing any bugs or issues that come up in the game at all, um, as well. At, and so the way that we have it structured is we have an internal quality assurance department that looks over our game. And then we also have a remote quality assurance department that looks over the game on the live builds on, on uh, Playverse. Okay, double-checking. So the, well, the... the the remote guys are kind of our last line of defense. They look over, they, they're looking over polished items and things like that that have had a good chance to go through the, the ringer with us internally. Mm-hmm. Um, but it all gets fed into the, into the head of quality assurance eventually. So everything the remote guys find, everything the internal guys find, all goes to our head of quality assurance who then turns everything into actionable tasks for the tech team to handle or if there are suggestions say they're balance or gameplay related like issues with uh with how uh, with how the game plays mm-hmm. uh those all get fed over to our gameplay balancers in my department in gameplay well i guess it's all kind of related because quality assurance is part of gameplay but but sort of the stuff that i more heavily manage i, I manage a lot of the gameplay related you know tweaks to things like uh where numbers should go how much damage things should do things like that and so it comes over to us, we review the suggestions, you know, and then come up with what we're going to do with patching and stuff like that based on their responses and what we think the game needs next. Okay. I was reading the gameplay producer description, and this is, seems like a huge amount of responsibility that spans wide areas. Uh, yeah. You're involved in kind of all the processes. Can you describe yep. that job for listeners? Um, the best way to describe it would be... So the way that the gameplay design for me works is at the beginning of at the beginning of the day like when it comes to making a game the initial seed ideas for the way the game should play how the game should work what kind of characters should be in the game that stuff typically goes through me at the beginning mm-hmm. and then after that it gets sent off to the various departments so for example I want this kind of functionality it goes off to tech and the programmers get working on that kind of functionality. And then I want these kind of characters or have this idea of, you know, what this person should do. It goes off to art and they take that and take it to the logical extremes and create our style. After which, 
when both of those groups are done with what they're doing, it comes back to me. Mm-hmm. So once they're done producing those initial elements, it comes back to me, and then it gets like the art part gets thrown to the animation pipeline, the visual effects, where I touch on it again and give advice as far as how things should move to give better clarity within game, like to dis- to help distinguish the visual style slightly mm-hmm. with the assistance of the art director um, in a way that makes sense for gameplay. Meanwhile, on the tech side, their stuff feeds back to me, and we look at it to make sure it's functioning the way that we want it to in gameplay. All those elements get put together into a prototype game, and then they go off to quality assurance to get cleaned up. <laughs> that must be a lot of I, pressure being I, the spinal cord. Review. Yeah, it's it's a lot of it's it's a lot of like being a part of the beginning of the pipe, middle of the pipe, end of the pipe, um, and that that is completely independent of things like sound work, which mm-hmm. I have to talk with the sound guys all the time to make sure. Well, our sound guy, I should say. Um, to make sure that all the sound effects are, you know, clearly indicating what should be indicated throughout the game, when they should play, how they should play, what the attenuations should be. There's a lot of... I'm not saying that I make every single decision in this process. Uh, the, all, most of the minor decisions are made by everybody involved in the chain, and they've got a huge influence over the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I just kind of serve as a sanity check at each point after the initial idea, the initial ball gets rolling. I was going to ask if you had like a clear decision making like process as far as you want it to be exactly this way and then they just create it or if you just kind of generally give them an idea and allow them to sort of morph it into something like more personal. Um, I think everybody kind of tries to leave their mark on the game as best they can within the locus of control that they have within the studio. Occasionally, I'll put my foot down and say, "No, I want it this way." Or I'm going to take my football and go home. <laughs> but, um, but it's very rare that I actually do that. Most of the time, I'll just kind of try and set boundaries so that you know it's okay to think outside the box, and people should think outside the box. But outside of that box is another box that I have to put in place so that they don't think outside of that one. <laughs> and so it's. Boundaries okay within to, the creativity. Yeah, it's boundaries so that we don't get completely out of scope. Keeping the project within scope so that it can get to a point where it's shippable is a large portion of what I have to do. Macro views, that's, that's hard. It's really hard because there's this wonderful conundrum that you have to have as both a producer and a designer. In my opinion, designers, artists, and Everybody that's involved from a creative aspect of a game has to be extremely emotionally invested in what they do. And they should be because they should love what they're working on and put their heart into what they're trying to do. But production is the exact opposite. (laughs) They have to be emotionally invested in game development without being invested in the game itself. And that makes, that, that makes for a really difficult difficult position to be in because sometimes you'll just for the sake of getting things done you have to redline your favorite feature and that's always that's always a tough decision to have to make this might be a good transition into the question of what inspired the change in the game to necessitate a dungeon defenders 2 or i guess like why even add aspects to the game for dungeon defenders oh 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 oh. you mean why have a dungeon defenders 2 as yeah Well, because Dungeon Defenders 1 is awesome. I know, but you can <laughs> keep creating new things for Dungeon Defenders. I know, you do that all the time. Um, 
the main thing was that there were systems that were in place for Dungeon Defenders 1 that were never meant to be grown to the scope at which they were grown in Dungeon Defenders 1. Um, and so a lot of the opportunities that we're taking as you know a company is to give people more of what they liked while revamping the things that they didn't and to really listen to our community and give back to them in a way that's meaningful in a sequel game. Um, it makes a lot of sense to take the things that people liked, like having lots of heroes in the game. People loved the variety that new heroes brought to the table and to really expound on that and take time to design around that uh, without messing with the balance that would already be in Dungeon Defenders 1 to rebalance for a brand new game. Um, another thing is that um, there's a lot of things that need to be fixed in Dungeon Defenders 1 with regard to numbers. Uh, the escalation that occurred in Dundef 1 is something that I am going to be very, very, um, I guess, very, very diligent in the way that we create it so that we don't have horrible numbers escalation. Or the, <laughs> we do. Don't ever play this level. We shall never speak of it again. Exactly. I have those levels. Yes, uh, they they exist. They uh, I I won't deny it. Uh, <laughs> but you know, we have a we have an opportunity here to to really you know to really give people something good that they're going to be able to have that will last. And I, I want to be able to do that and give back in that way. Were you plus there? Sorry. Plus, it is exciting. It's exciting to have, you know, the ability to take everything and make it better <laughs> and to do more of it uh, in a way that we couldn't do in the first game because the system wasn't designed for us to be able to do it that way. Like, one of the big things that you can have, that we can have now that we never had in Dungeon Defenders 1 is a buff system. Uh, the ability to put a buff on a player that augments them in some way. Mm -hmm. That's never in Dundef 1, and I don't know how we got through making that game without having that in place. It just seems absurd to me <laughs> when I look at how much variety and what it gives us in terms of traps and towers and enemies and and heroes and abilities. It just it blow, blows my mind that we were able to function without one for so long. Were you there when the Defenders 1 kind of blew up into this huge thing? Because, I mean, the aspects you're describing yes. and everything, it seems as though the game was intended, you know, to, you know, just be a thing that you guys made. And wow, it's just huge now. It's I wasn't working for them at the time. Okay. Um, but I was definitely there. Like, I was very aware of what was going on with the company via the community. Um, gosh, let me think. So... Where I came into it was during the... I, I, was, I was one of the many, many people that bought the game during the massive, massive flood of, um, of, uh, of popularity that came into the, to the game when it first released on Steam. Mm -hmm. um, and then I was there during the ramp up to Halloween. I was there during the massive nerfs to items and through super loot and through all of the expansions through the attorney of shard content, all that was stuff that I was there for. Um, but I, I didn't actually start proactively being able to do something, um, meaningful for them until I want to say late January when the barbarian and the assault map pack expansion finally hit. Okay. Hmm. 
Well, I'm glad that you get a chance to, I guess, now be aware of the massive numbers that you'll have and remake this yes. game yeah, it's, know, appropriately, because you'll know. It's no joke, that's for sure. Uh, in my understanding of the co-op aspect of Dungeon Vendors 1, which I really like, uh, it seems like that's going to be retained in Dungeon Vendors 2 with a lot of additives and extra things. Can you describe some of the extra things for the people that just want to play co-op and aren't interested in, like... I can't go into too much detail about it, and the reason why isn't because I don't want to. It's because <laughs> a lot of it is still very, very much under development. Okay. And until I've come to a final decision with the people that are designing it with me, the way that you were used to it from Dungeon Defenders 1, like the the cooperative aspect of tower defense and you know and put it setting up defenses and killing enemies all that's going to be retained there will be more of it there're going to be more heroes there're going to be more towers there're going to be more enemies more variety um more challenges to have to overcome um to kind of put a new spin on um on dungeon defenders in a way that we weren't able to do in the first game but the low level details are things that i can't really i can't really comment on at the time because they have not been they they're 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 fleshed out in a very rough form right now because so much so much testing is going to need to get done before we're ready to launch the co-op i i need to make sure that we're that we're doing things the right way this time around Okay. Um, my understanding of the PvP aspect is kind of an MOBA style, but right. um, which to me, and I guess defining it for the listeners as well, is, is kind of like the only difference between that and traditional RTS is that it, it's kind of like team play against other people's units, like not against the character themselves, but against the things that they are, their structures and, and things like that. And sometimes an AI, like how, how does this work in the new Dungeon Defenders 2? Is it against... Is it against AI or is it against? It's your against opponent? other people. Okay. Um, it's against other people, and honestly, it was kind of funny because the whole idea of doing this Dungeon Defenders MOBA was—I mean, we wanted to have some kind of player versus player aspect added to our game because it was one of the one of the nails that we really didn't hit on the head in the way that we wanted to with Dungeon Defenders One. Um, we tried a lot of things in Dungeon Defenders One. We tried capture the flag. We tried. Um, we tried doing arenas and melee battles type stuff, um, but none of it really felt like dungeon defenders, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, it just felt like we were trying to make something do something that it didn't want to do. And so, and so basically, we were like, well, why not try MOBA style? And the more I thought about it, the more it was like, well, you know, you're still defending an Eternia Crystal, you still have towers that are helping you defend the Eternia Crystal. And your heroes are still taking an active role in, in attempting to, you know, overcome enemies and defend against them. Mm-hmm. So from a thematic standpoint, it worked. And then I thought to myself, well, you know, we, we tried we tried a lot of things with camera. We tried doing it in an isometric view, which didn't really feel like Dungeon Defenders. And then we tried pulling it back and doing a chase cam, and that really felt like Dungeon Defenders. And so we really felt like, I mean, around the studio we were playing it, and we were just going, you know what, this, this is starting to really feel good. We, we want to go down this route. You know, after a lot of feedback from people and a lot of internal groups, I mean, we, and, and fans, we, we really felt like it was the right, right decision for us. And the whole point of the PvP game, the whole reason why we did it, was because we're trying to get a little bit more MMO-ish with mm-hmm. the co-op game. We want to immerse you a little bit more 
in the game in a way that we weren't able to in the first game. Um, I see. Like eliminating menu-based travel. Well, not not entirely eliminating, but giving you the option to not just go through menu-based travel, like giving oh. you a town hub that you can run through that allows you to actually see where in the world the dungeons that you're defending actually are. Um, basically, the idea behind the PvP mode is that since we want to do all this big stuff with the co-op mode and it's going to take us some time, in MMOs, what do you do when you're waiting for new content to come out after you've finished everything? You PvP. So right. having a solid PvP mode allows us to keep our players happy and playing our game while at the same time buying us time to actually put new content out. And so hopefully the proof of concept will be there in in this, but the, that's why we that's why we prioritized the PvP mode first, was we felt that it was kind of a low-hanging fruit, something that we could develop pretty quickly and, you know, and have it uh, at a good quality that would buy us the time that we needed to really put in the time that we wanted to on the co-op game. I like that the main focus kind of remains that the goal of the game is the co-op game and that this is sort of a side thing you can do as well. And it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like it's morphing into, you know, let's let's make it all PvP because I really enjoy the co-op aspect. And right. I would need to see that, you know, PvP should always, yeah, for MMO-style games, I always feel that PvP should kind of supplement it. Mm-hmm. It should be something to do, but it should not be the only thing to do. You know, yeah. you should want to play the game for the campaign. And then, you know, I mean, you see it not just in games like, um, you see it not just in games like WoW or Guild Wars. You see it in, in much more regular games like, look at, look at StarCraft. I can't tell you how much I loved playing the campaign for StarCraft 2. Mm-hmm. That's where the story lives, you know? Yeah. It was great. It was awesome. Loved it. Fantastic campaign. What did I do after the campaign was over? Immediately started going into <laughs> multiplayer mode online. <laughs> and, and, and now Heart of the Swarm is out and I can't find the time to actually play the darn <laughs> game, but. <laughs> That's another story. <sighs> not gonna, not gonna dwell. <laughs> in the original dun- Dungeon Defenders, I find myself dying by falling off bridges into lava, by getting shot or you know stabbed by opposing you know AI forces. Are there ways in your PvP aspect for players to actually die rather than just have their structures taken out? I've been kind. <laughs> no, kind of just want to stab be, somebody. I'm gonna be honest, not Scott. Be pits. You can you can get stabbed by other people. Oh, you can, you can die to uh, you can die to their towers by by foolishly running into the base and going right for the gold at the beginning. But <laughs> it, it plays basically just like a just like a MOBA. It's just playing it like in chase cam okay. instead. So the same dangers that exist in games that are of that genre will exist in our in our PvP game. You but no, transfer. you won't have to worry about walking through the hot lava and dying to it. <laughs> Good. That, this makes me feel better. That, that's definitely a thing. Okay. Don't give me any ideas, though. Oh, yeah. Lava. Yeah. Not yeah. a way to die. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can transfer items back and forth between the original and the second game. Is there things like you can get specifically in PvP that are exclusive that people are going to want to do it just Let's, so they can level up? Let, let me let me backtrack. Say that again. You can... Um, I believe that you can transfer items uh, from both games, like from PvP to co-op and back again. Okay. You made me... You made it... I, I just want to clarify, yeah, you won't be able to transfer items from Dungeon Defenders 1 to Dungeon Defenders 2. Okay. Because you said Game 1 and Game 2, and I was like, uh... <laughs> okay, yes, this makes that? obviously not. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no, I'm not privy to this kind of exclusive right, information. <laughs> right now the plan is, uh, since we're going free-to-play, just like in most free-to-play games, you'll be able to buy heroes and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but um, the short end of the conversation would be that any um, hero purchases that you're going to make in the PvP game will roll over to the PvE game because obviously they're the same game, mm -hmm. so there's going to be a correlation there. Um, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm, I would say, a good 80 to 90% sure that since the statistics that are going to be on items that you're placing on them in the PvP game are inherently different than the ones that you're going to be having in the PvE game, uh. that statistics won't carry over, but I believe we're going to carry over item skins. So cosmetic changes that you've made, like if you've got the awesome pink-haired Huntress because you've <laughs> dyed everything on her pink, yes, and you want her to be as obnoxious in the PvE game as she is in the <laughs> PvP game, I, I, I am positive that that will be a thing. Okay. But but she may not be hitting like a truck because you'll have to restat her up in some way. <laughs> Is there a way to to get the loot more efficiently? Because that's that's probably my biggest complaint in Dungeon Defenders. It's like I feel the pressure of the clicking timer, and I have to go around everywhere and like you know compare to what i currently have and it, is it is it a check mark I, I don't understand and just I see. you know everybody I see. else is fighting for the whoever sees it first in mid game while you're fighting it's it's not i got to tell you it's not honorable scott in middle in mid game oh, yeah, to pick there's up no loot amongst thieves and greedy people no so I, there's always that i definitely that. understand uh i don't feel that the game is fleshed out enough in that regard to be able to accurately answer that question although <laughs> okay. I will say that I'm aware of the issue and that I am thinking of the best possible solution. Okay, because I can imagine PvP getting nasty. I mean, it's when you've got co-op well, of people that know each other. Game, you're okay, because the way that the PvP game generates items is once you win a match, it generates rewards for all players in that match oh, that are nice. to those specific players. Okay. So you're okay there. And of course, anything that you buy in the shop, you buy for yourself. Mm -hmm. And there's no worry there. But as far as how co-op will generate items I'm not entirely 100% sure yet. We'll, we'll have to wait until I have more information for you there. Okay. Uh, is there going to be specialized holiday content specifically for PvP in the way that you kind of do now for, for regular co-op? I can't comment on that. <laughs> okay. Uh, here's a question as well for Dungeon Defenders 1. Uh, current holiday content, it seems pretty much like guaranteed you must co-op for it, and soloing isn't really an option. Is there like a reason for that, or... A or some sort of thinking in that direction? Sadly, I think that the answer to that is just simply escalation. Um, the problem I have there is that while I am in charge of coming up with a lot of the conceptual design for the, um, for the Dungeon Defenders 1 content, I'm not actually the person that does the balancing for it. Okay. Um, and so, for example... Um, February rolled around this year, and it was Valentine's Day for Dungeon Defenders 1, and I got told, hey, we want to do a Valentine's Day content for Dungeon Defenders 1, but we don't want it to be what we did last year because people didn't seem to like that. Can you come up with something that uses the systems that we already have in place, mainly because we were gearing up for PAX so we didn't have the development time to create something brand new, um, to make something similar that players will like? And so rather than having this, you have to find a boy mob and find a girl mob and have them meet in the middle and, you know, <laughs> and breed, which didn't really make a lot of sense to me back when I was playing it in the beta, 
when I was baiting for it the previous year, I was going, why am I helping these enemies? I'm killing them the next map over. Why is this a thing? Because <laughs> I want to kill their young. Because I want to kill their young. That's right. <laughs> and, and so when I thought about it, I'm like, well, we can take that same mechanic and just have everybody be like this desperate, lustful boy and girl mob that want to meet <laughs> in the middle. And it's in your best interest to stop them from propagating because if they do, they're just going to try and kill you later. So rather than playing Cupid like you did the previous year, you ended up playing the anti-Cupid. And then as a result, you ended up having to fight a goblin Cupid at the end of it because obviously, you know, you're stopping love from happening on Valentine's Day. Mm -hmm. That's a good reason to actually have to fight that boss. So it, it worked out in a way that was really well received. And I, I know that a lot of people really enjoyed the map, and uh, I thought it was it. It turned out to be a pretty big success. So, I mean, it's those kind of things that they'll come to me with with a design the concept behind this and make sure that it's working the way that it's supposed to type stuff. And then, as far as the balancing stuff, I can say that it's really just more that it's an escalation thing. Um, I mean, the game is a consistent ramp of difficulty from vanilla all the way up to the current content that's being released even now. Mm -hmm. And it's just going to be one of those things where it's going to be, it's going to be a really tough challenge no matter how you slice it. Okay. I had a question from a listener who wanted to know for specifically for holidays, uh, there are special characters that exist there. There are mods like, like ears or tails on existing characters that you see. Uh, how is this done? And is this a living map? Uh, I'm not sure exactly how that question Interesting. is. Interesting. Um, I actually don't think I understand the question. So <laughs> let me let me hear that one more time here. My understanding of what they're asking is that there are some characters that exist regularly in co-op, but you'll see them in special holidays and they'll have like ears or tails or something like that just makes them a little bit different. Or characters that only appear like that, hey, that's a goblin cupid. Oh, 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 you know? of course, of course, of course, yes. Okay, so I think what he might be referring to is he might be referring to the fact that we'll take enemy, mo enemy mobs and dress them up for the holiday. Yes. Like as an example... We had um, spiders with monocles and top hats on and spiders <laughs> with little pink bows on their head for Valentine's Day. Um, all we, what we have is we have kind of an attachment system where it allows us to arbitrarily put um, accessory skeletal meshes onto mobs. And as long as we create a different archetype for that particular mob, we're able to adjust its stats and kind of change it over to be suited to that holiday by dressing up the original model. And so what we're doing is we're taking that model that you're that you're used to seeing and we're just throwing stuff onto it okay. on top of that model. We're not changing the model at all. We're creating new small models and attaching them to it via a socket system in Unreal Engine 3. So you can just um, remove them at a certain designated time. Exactly. But um, And those mobs have to be set up by creating a brand new archetype for them that says this mob is the valentine's holiday mob that does this and looks like this and has these sockets and these attachments to it and then you spawn that mob into the map and there it is with a top hat on hmm, neat. No? yeah 
Okay, questions about heroes. One one of my complaints, I guess, if I have some, about oh, dungeon defenders, is that I like to play the hunter, huntress, and there aren't a whole lot of like ways to change her other than hey, her skin color has like five choices, and you know her hair and all that stuff. And it, gotcha. are there going to be more customization options for your character oh, at the beginning? Man. And there's 24 heroes. That's a lot of heroes. Like I can't even think of there's 24 20, classes. There's 24 that we're starting with. That's not even the end game number. I. <laughs> I mean, we're gonna we're gonna throw as much support at this game as our fans want us to. So if this game takes off, there are gonna be a, there's gonna be a lot more time for making more heroes. So that'll be a thing. Now, does it that mean like different classes, class. like twenty four classes, or they're just like body types of heroes? Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh. that's twenty four classes. I can't even that's, think of twenty four classes. That's that's a thing. That's, that's a thing. oh yeah, that's that's happening. Yeah. Uh, they'll. They'll be unique unto themselves. They'll have their own abilities. They'll have their own, you know, they'll have their own towers that are, that are their towers. Like they're, they're characters in the game. They have their own game identity. Just like how the, uh, just like, I mean, less like the alternate sex heroes in Dundef 1 and more like the expansion heroes in Dundef 1. Okay. So they'll so, be beautiful and lots of choices until somebody makes a spreadsheet that says these top three are the awesome ones you have to do because they most do the most damage. Yeah, and then and then massive rebalancing will happening at the drop of a dime. Just kidding. Ex- anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, no the uh, the classes are going to be unique unto themselves. An answer to your customization of the huntress thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're going to have various different costumes that you'll be able to throw her into and you're going to be able to colorize like many more regions on that particular costume than you were able to before you'll be able to really uniquely identify yourself as this is my huntress there there are plenty of huntresses out there but this is this is genesis huntress this, this is, is and there is, is only here. one yes there's only one That's right. until there's someone that does exactly what you did and then you make your hair pink <laughs> <laughs> It'll be like a prom fight. Exactly. You wear the same dress as I did to prom. Exactly Killing. right. <laughs> nice. Uh, so this is for platform PC, Mac, iOS, Android, web. And I'm sure that everyone's going PC, to yell, why no Mac. consoles? So, um, uh, considering I, the multiplayer aspect, what what's the explanation for the console lack? So let's, let's, well, first of all, let me just say right now, console players out there, if you've got a computer... It's okay. There will be controller support, ah. so so you can still get the same game feel that you're nice. hoping for. Nice. Um, but uh, what I will say about console systems is that because we're we're not we're still exploring platforms to release on, um, and because we're still exploring plat- what platforms we want to release on, I I really can't say whether or not we definitively are or are not going to release on consoles. Okay. I can say we're not sure yet. Um, the ones I know that we're releasing on are, like for a fact, like a hard fact, are PC, uh, mobile, so like Android devices and iOS devices, Mac, and uh, browser. I've heard outside this. Of that, outside of that, I strongly strongly believe we'll probably end up doing Linux okay. which is exciting because I don't know if there are any other MOBAs on Linux um, but I don't think the port would be that difficult because Mac is Unix and 
Linux is built on the back of Mac, and we did it for Dundef 1, so I, I really don't think that it'll be that difficult conversion. I'm not entirely sure about consoles yet, because I don't know... I don't know what our marketing guys have done with Sony and Microsoft yet. Like, I see. You're at a strange point, too, where a lot of uh, next-generation consoles are that's, coming out. That's the other big thing is that, I, I mean, we don't, I mean, if, if Xbox 720 ends up, you know, being a big thing at E3, I mean, we're not going to want to develop for Xbox 360. If we end up doing that, we'll, we'll probably want to do something else, you know, go with 720 or something. So I, I can't comment because I just don't know what we're going to do. I, I honestly, truly don't know. Do you think people really play on iOS? I mean, I can't imagine, like, all the little running everywhere. Um, well, I just think that, I mean, I, I play uh, many games on my iPad, um, that I could see, but the Android, <laughs> I'm thinking, I can't even... Well, you could play like on a Nexus 7 or a Nexus 10 pretty yeah, easily. They're basically the same thing. I don't think you're going to have a whole huge market of people that are trying to bust out their iPhone 5s and trying <laughs> to play the game. But, you know, if you're really hardcore, you, you know, you do it, man. <laughs> that would be the person in my PvP group. Exactly. <laughs> I would say, what? You know, it'll be there as an option should you choose to take it. Okay. So rotating heroes is something I'm reading about, which means basically if you choose not to use like in-game purchasing, you will have an option for like available heroes for that day. Yes. Does, does that then change like tomorrow and you don't get to keep that hero or do you get to keep it? That sounds a whole lot like a marketing question because <laughs> okay. I can design the heroes and I can get them ready and get them in the game all nice and good looking and balanced. At the end of the day, how many they want to make free at a time and you know what their rotation schedule is is going to be completely and totally something that our marketing director is going to have to have charge over um because they're the ones that you know they're the ones that are going to be looking most heavily at what the fans are going to appreciate and stuff like that so okay which character if you had to choose for dungeon defenders 2 would you say is most reflective of yourself oh that's so difficult <laughs> Did not ask can, you what your favorite color was. I can tell. Yeah, that's true. It wasn't a softball question, was it? Uh, gosh, reflective of me is tough. I can tell you the one that I'm most emotionally invested in. That mm -hmm. might be that might be the best way to take it. Okay. Um, we have a character called the Rider in our game, and. This was one of those ones. Remember, I said you every every once in a while you have those moments where you put your foot down and go, "I'm gonna, we're gonna do this," or "I'm gonna take my football and go home." Yes. This was the character that I was adamant about when we were going into design about it. I did not want to budge, and basically the idea was that it's a little, it's a little kid riding on the back of a big monster. Hmm. It didn't matter what the monster looked like. It just mattered that the monster had absolutely no idea that there was a battle going on <laughs> around it. Okay. The whole point of it was that the little boy is just a little boy. What use is he going to be in combat, right? So basically the, the visual look of this character is basically it's got it's this little boy with a piece of food on a stick, like a carrot on a stick, that's riding on a giant furry creature. And the furry creature has only one thing on its mind, and that is getting to the carrot on the end of the stick. Mm -hmm. So if there happens to be an enemy in the way, it's going to bat the enemy out of the way and 
you know, if it incidentally kills it in the process, so be it. It's trying to get to its food. Don't stand <laughs> in the way of it in its dinner. Um, and so all of the abilities of the character are centered around the idea of a big, ferocious mount. Not even ferocious. It's actually pretty cute and cuddly, but a great big mount that's doing all of this damage that's completely oblivious to the battle going on around it. And it's only the little tiny boy that's sitting on top that actually knows what's going on. The whole, the whole character is themed that's around amazing. that. I think it's awesome. It is awesome. And I worry for the, the mental balance of this small child who's writing. Yeah, I don't even, I, I haven't even gotten into that. I'll have to talk to our writer to see what she came up with for creative <laughs> backstory for him. But, uh, but there, there have been a number of characters that I've seen in other games that are that are riding on mounts, and the mounts are very unique into that character. But the mount has absolutely no personality outside of the fact that it's just a mount. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that that was a real lost opportunity in the way that you could design a character. Is yeah, like I, I think a good example is there's a character in League of Legends called Sejuani who I was like, holy moly, I want this character so bad because. She's riding a huge giant war pig, and it looks awesome. And I want to gore people with this great big, huge, ferocious looking mount. And all she does is walk around smacking things with a mace. And it was really lackluster and not what I was hoping for in it. And I'm just like, wow, you have this rare opportunity of having this great big, huge, awesome looking mounted character, and all she does is whack stuff with the weapon like a person that was on two legs would. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a not not a well well used. Uh mount definitely yeah so i wanted something that was mount centric and that's what the rider is okay so that was the that was that's easily the one that i'm most emotionally invested in the one i'm most like god i i i don't know that i've made a me character for the game i don't know if the art team would let me make a me character for the game i think they'd put their foot down about it (laughs) Uh, here's another one for you similarly if sure. you could make a dungeon any theme you wanted, and maybe you do this all the time, what would the theme be that you would choose? Dang, that's toughy. Um, if I could make a dungeon any theme that I wanted. Thunderdome. No, um, <laughs> you could make it similar. <laughs> I'm seeing lots of purple forests and really neat, like, you know, similar colors to you would, got, would you imagine Elven Kingdoms to be, like purple and blue. and you Yeah, know. we've... We've got a lot of that. We we kind of really embrace Western fantasy quite a bit. I mean, we go off the reservation at times, like when we did the expansion crystal shard areas, but we kind of embrace those those heavily grounded in Western fantasy-like themes. I think it would be really cool. You know, honestly, the, the things that I really wanted to see done, they kind of have been done to a degree. Because I, I have a really, like... I have a big affinity toward water and stuff like that. I've always been an ocean type person. Like I've always lived, this is the first place I've ever lived where I haven't lived like within a 10 minute drive of the beach. Hmm. And, uh, here in Florida, you'd think you're Florida everywhere. There's a beach. Nope. <laughs> not where I'm at right in the middle at the very top. Hmm. But, um, I think with Aquinos, they kind of touched on what would be, what would have been my ideal type scenario, which would have been an underwater theme type level, which I thought was really awesome. Like I remember it was the one thing that brought me back to world of Warcraft when cataclysm came out, the entire zone that was underwater. And I was like, yep, yep. Here's my money. You can have it. And then I finished (laughs) it 
And then I immediately canceled my account. And I was like, nope, I'm done. No more time. You can't have it. You took years from me. Never again. <laughs> I can understand this. It was it was well done. Oh, it was. I thought so. You got to ride on seahorses. What's not to like? Right, and they were fast. Exactly. I guess a couple more questions about the uh, free-to-play versus um, Dungeon Defenders 1 where you you know have to add, you have to buy the original game and then you have to add, buy adventure packs and things like that. Mm-hmm. So if you're buying, if you're doing Dungeon Defenders 2 and you're free-to-play, you're hoping that possibly you're going to get a lot more users at that point. And that seems to be the, like, I would say the structure of the future for a lot of games. Um, microtransactions, is that the way that you're basically making money off this in order to be able to keep a studio? Yeah, uh... I know that we do intend to do microtransactions, but I I really don't know what the overall marketing strategy for the game is. I, I okay. I'm just not connected in with that. Or marketing like people. like I'm the guy that gets told make a really fun to play game, <laughs> and they worry about them. Then they worry play. about the rest. Okay. Uh, anything else you think that you should tell the listeners about the game as far as, you know, what makes this, everyone asks, what makes this different? Why is this like a different RTS game other than the creativity, which I've been really impressed with in Dungeon Defenders 1, and I hope it continues in the 2. Oh, I think the nice maps are, are, you know, it's just very clever. I don't know who who comes up with all these ideas, but even simple things like, oh, there's lava rising and you have to, you know, get to the top before you die. I mean, these are that's, all like... That's actually really funny that you mentioned that one challenge because that was the very first challenge I ever designed for the company. Oh, I was wow. Volunteer. I did not know, but that's yeah. one of the ones I'm working on right now. Yeah, that's the that's the uh, lava level at Tele Mines. Uh, they were trying to think of... That, that was another one of those funny stories where it was a crunch, where... Uh, they only had a couple of days to design a challenge before it was going to get to like to the beta window, the the like point of no return. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm in a phone call with with uh, the guy I ended up working for when I first got here over Skype. And here I am in Oregon, in the middle of my day, just drink, drinking coffee on my deck, and he's he's telling me, "Hey, uh, you know, I want uh, I need a challenge for this map." We were thinking about doing warping core, and I'm like, "Oh my god, don't do warping core! Nobody likes that." And he's like, "What? Nobody likes that?" I'm like, "Trust me, you'll get nothing but flack from the user base." And he's like, "Okay." I'm like, "You should do." He's like, "But I have to do something that incorporates something we've already done in the game. I can't make something brand new." And I'm like, "Do moving core, which is what it is. It's just moving core's logic, and then add." Add a rising flat plane to it, like what you did with the uh, puzzle room in Aquinos, where you took a basically that whole water level that rises up in Aquinos for mm-hmm. its challenge. I said, apply it to that and make it a kill volume that rises, and have it be uh, have it be lava. And I said, you've got a challenge. Do that. And he's like, yeah, we could probably do that in about four hours. I'm like, great. That means you'll have it ready for testing. <laughs> That's pretty much the way that that worked. Was nice. Um, but you can jump and bounce. That's but nice. you can jump, yes. You can jump. You can go off the little pads and stuff and really get away. But the idea of shutting off the spawners was totally him, where every spawner that's behind you that's covered in lava, all the enemies that it would normally spawn are spawned out of the ones that are still active. That <laughs> that wasn't me, I, and I apologize. Mean, really. Yes, yes. Some sadist at the top. <laughs> um, but... uh. 
I would say you're you're saying, do I have anything that I can say to the uh, people that are, you know, like on the fence or never played or, you know. Well, I would say that if you're a fan of Dungeon Defenders One, at any point, you don't have to worry. Um, the game that you know and love is still very much intact, and it's going to be something that you have to look forward to. Um, for those of you who are on the fence that aren't sure whether or not Dungeon Defenders 2 is for you, if you, as far as the co-op side goes, if you're ever someone who was like me and you love tower defense games where you go and play like Kingdom Rush online on you know in a flash browser just so you could get your your fix of tower defense in, you know, Dungeon Defenders would be a, a good, you know, a good try it out type thing for you. Um, as far as the MOBA genre style, the, the PvP game, uh, it's exciting and I think it's a lot of fun. It's definitely, um, it's definitely a good mix. It's one of those things where you're going to get a feel for what the Dungeon Defenders style is in the way that the, camera works and the feel of the game and the way that the abilities work to a degree. Um, all that stuff is going to roll over in a real logical way. So you'll be able to kind of get a taste of it, but you're going to be basically playing with the uh, um, a more PvP type game as opposed to a PvE type game. And that's going to make a major difference in the way you'll perceive it. So I would say that if it's if you try it out and you like the PvP game, Great, keep playing it and enjoy it. But if you don't necessarily really jive with the PvP game in a good way, this is especially important for people that are non-competitive players that like the co-op game. Don't worry. Don't panic. The game that you know and love is coming. It's just going to be based on... Uh, basically, we're basically going to take the game and whether or not, if you really like the PvP game and it's something that people enjoy, we'll, we'll throw more support onto that. And, you know, really flesh it out. And we'll take the co-op game and we'll probably push it back slightly so that we don't sacrifice time that we would work on one for the other. Mm -hmm. um, because at the end of the day, we want to have two really good quality games that we're shipping in a single package to you guys. And we're just going to be doing one before the other. And if it turns out that the PvP game does, you know, okay, it's not like the greatest new game that you've ever experienced in your entire life, that's okay too. Um, because it just means that we'll put out the co-op game sooner rather than later. <laughs> there you go. Well, people are more creative, you would hope, than AI. So, you know, you can play PvP and, and be surprised how the towers are placed and all the things you can well, pretty much map out now. I guess that's another thing is we're not going to have bots for the enemy heroes in the PvP game. It'll actually be players. Mm. So, and that's a time thing. Uh, bots take a ton of time and balancing and I, I think that everybody would agree that they would rather have things that they have under their control that they can play and enjoy than things that are not under their control that simply don't ever really measure up to a full completely competitive experience mm -hmm. you know there will be trading areas and like a little arena that you can play in and stuff like that perhaps there will be places that you can sandbox a little bit but there won't be a definitive like you know this is the AI arena type thing that you can practice against fake players in. 
because it just it's just a time constraint. It every time we every time we pour into making even one single AI bot is time I could have spent on a new hero for people to play. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, if you're going to play PvP, you might as well play against people. That's the point. That's exactly right. <laughs> you know, I have to tell you. Scott, I don't like RTS games. I don't like Civilization all that much. I really don't even like XCOM, but I like this game. This is a fun game, it, especially if you play with your friends. And, mm-hmm. I mean, the graphics are beautiful. It's it's not entirely complicated, but, you know, you can format strategies. You know, sure. the people that come out, it's, it's fun because you have bright lights of, you know, magic flying and all this. You know, it's just really beautiful. I think people would like it even if they're not huge, like RTS fans, because it moves very quickly. It doesn't take forever to sit there and strategize on the perfect point to do, and you mm-hmm. have, you know, people can move the clock along if they're rude. Yep. So, you know, I think it's a really, I really enjoy it a lot. It's something that I've had a really good time with my friends. I'm looking forward to Dungeon Defenders 2 very much. So oh, I'm sure so glad you. that you like our game. And, uh, yeah, don't worry. Everything you like is, is still coming. It's going to be good. You're going to love it. Okay. So if people would like to look you up, I would like to say on Twitter, but you don't have anything on Twitter. Oh, man. Yeah. I, I literally just created my Twitter account like, <laughs> like a week before PAX and okay. I've been it's terrible like two about tweets. getting to it. Okay. So, so I will, I will you? have to, uh, I'll have to be more attentive to that in the future here. Like the, the, the best way, honestly, to, to do anything that, to get my attention is to post on our forums at dungeondefenders2.com. Which I'm like, active. I'm always lurking on our forums. Like whenever I'm waiting for code to compile, whenever I'm waiting to review something, I'm on our forums reading every single thing I can. Okay. Well, there you go. A big thank you to Scott. If you would like to leave some feedback or keep up with the news, you can find me on Twitter at Gray Area Podcast, at Facebook slash Gray Area Podcast, or on iTunes. As always, the Gray Area Podcast is completely supported by your support as the listener. So if you like this show and you like the others, feel free to go to Genesee.com or GrayAreaPodcast.com. You'll see in the right-hand corner there are donation buttons for whatever amount you choose, which is always welcome for the maintenance of the site and for life in general. Gotta have cheeseburgers. So thank you for your support of the show, and I will see you next week with a new episode. This podcast is a part of the Signals Media All-Star Network. For more information on this and other fine shows, go to SignalsMedia.com. It's okay to stick our stuff in your ears. Really?